Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. That makes this stuff you should know. The podcast. The audio version, because we have a video version, baby. Yeah, we throw videos about once a week now. No, no, no. I mean, we have like a video version of our podcast that has rules. It's like a game show. Remember the stupid game show that we had? Yeah. Yeah, that one. That's coming soon. It'll probably be out by this time on the website. I think it published... In our you and me time right here, mm-hmm. I think it publishes next week. Okay. In the time that we're, we're in people's earbuds right now, yeah, it published already. So go to the video section of How Stuff Works and search in the video section, Stuff You Should Know, and you'll be able to find that. And it's not an audio version of what we do. It's a Totally one, different. Yeah, it's like a couple of minutes long. New content that you've never heard? Loose, fun. It's not that fun, but it is definitely loose. Yes. <laughs> you, you, you'll like it. And if you don't, again, it's free. Yeah, it's free. Um, also, uh, you can find us on Twitter. We have fun on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is SYSK Podcast. We're front loading this one? Yeah. Okay. Um, and then on Facebook, we're almost to like 50,000 um, friends on Facebook. That's Buddies, right. you could call them. And you can listen to us on WFMU in the New York metro area at 90.1 FM. And in the Hudson Valley? At 91.1? I believe so. And that's Friday evenings? At 7. At 7 o'clock. Yeah. We love WFMU, and it's we're very proud to be a part of that station. Yeah, our buddy Ken over there mm-hmm. um, just takes one classic episode and another classic episode and makes them kiss like Barbie dolls. That's right. <laughs> and puts them into like an hour-long version. All right. Let's so, get down yeah. to Bizwax. Plug fest out of the way. Oh, we have two audio books. One on the economy, one on <laughs> happiness. You can find them on uh, iTunes. Yeah, Super Stuff Guides. Yeah. It's okay. Right. You ready now? Yes. Chuck. Yes. Have you heard about this Occupy Wall Street jam? Uh, Yeah. You have? Yeah, they're shutting it down here and there. Are they? I thought they were generally uh, keeping it, as long as it uh, stayed contained in Zuccotti Park, it was relatively okay. Well, I mean, in different... C- Cities, they're like yeah, they, they cleared them out of Atlanta yesterday. Oakland, they tear gassed them, tear gassed and stung grenades. Yeah, and they, apparently when they came back, they tear gassed them again, stung grenaded them, and there and the the Occupy Oakland people are like, we're gonna come back every day, and the cops are like, we're gonna stun grenade you every day. Yeah, we got lots of stun grenades. Did they clear out Atlanta? What happened? They cleared out Atlanta overnight last night, I think, but huh. I don't know if people are gonna come back or not. That is so shady to clear it out overnight. Yeah, it happens. Apparently so. <laughs> well, Occupy Wall Street in particular is doing pretty well. Um, it started September 17th, and as of today, October 26th, um, it's been going on for 39 days, which is substantial. Sure. Uh, I think a lot of people are surprised that it's been going on this long. Yeah. But as long as 39 days seems, it's got nothing on the occupation of Alcatraz that took place starting November 20th, 1969. And lasted 19 months. The Red Power Movement? Yes. Red Power. Uh, basically, this was, you've heard of AIM, the American Indian Movement, the one that um, Marlon Brando helped out by having, uh, what was her name, Little Feather, go accept his Oscar? Yeah, I think that was her name. Um, 
this started that. This is largely credited with starting that. So on November 20th, 1969, a guy named uh, Richard uh, McKenzie, uh, who was a, um, I think he was a Mohawk. No, I'm sorry. Uh, Richard Oakes was a Mohawk. And he led an occupation um, that took over another occupation, basically, that had started like a couple weeks earlier. And um, basically just sat in with about 100 people on Alcatraz and said, hey, we think this should be a cultural center for Native Americans, and we think it should be the site of an Indian university as well. And we're going to stay here until you meet our demands. And they did. And one of the the key um, ingredients of this was that it was um, intertribal. There was more than one tribe. It wasn't just the Mohawks who were doing this, which made it um, groundbreaking as far as um, Indian the Indian movement was concerned. Yeah. Um, and it lasted for a while. It had its ups and downs, and basically, it was ultimately co-opted by the dirty hippies in San Francisco, um, on the across the bay, who started showing up and like doing drugs, like openly in the in the prison. Yeah. Now, granted, uh, you don't get too many opportunities to take acid on Alcatraz, but they uh, they ended up eroding the the occupation severely. That's right. And there was a basis for that, even. The Treaty of Fort Laramie mm-hmm. in 1868 said yeah. that uh, all retired, abandoned, out-of-use federal land shall be returned to the native people uh, from whom it was acquired. And since Alcatraz, the prison, had shut down in 1963, mm-hmm. it was declared a surplus federal property. And so they said, you know what? We'll give you 47 cents an acre, which is what you bought it for. So we'll give you $9.40 for Alcatraz. Nice. <laughs> and they said, no, let's bring in the Coast Guard. Well, for a while it was tolerated, again, 19 months. But then uh, in January 1971, two oil tankers collided uh, in San Francisco Bay. And although there was, it was clearly established that the lighthouse, which was no longer working on Alcatraz yeah. uh, because of the movement, had n- no part in this. It was enough so that public sentiment was like, get those guys out of there. So Nixon was like, get them out of there. Yeah, they shut down the power, shut off telephone service, a fire broke out, and then it dwindled down to about 15 people, and that was small enough to where they could just go in and say, come on. Yep, five women, four children, six unarmed men. And Richard Oakes, 13-year-old stepdaughter, unfortunately, fell to her death during the middle of this occupation. Yeah. Uh, three, Three stories down. Because... She probably fell from a cell block because they were three tiers high. That's right. So this is just one major event in the history of Alcatraz, one of many. Uh, and Alcatraz itself dates back at least, well, far before this, as far as Europeans are concerned. Alcatraz's origins begin in 1775. But let's talk about the Native American um, use of Alcatraz before then. I got one more interesting fact for you. I want to hear A young Benjamin Bratt was one of the occupiers no. with his mother and sisters. No way. Yeah. Benjamin Brad of TV's Law and Order fame? Yeah. Wow. He was one of the one of the kids. That's awesome. All right. So taking uh Alcatraz, let's go back in time to the Native Americans. There was some rumors that it was actually a prison for them as well, where they would exile those who broke tribal law. But historians say that might not be the case. They probably just went there looking for eggs. Right, so and pelican birds eggs. There. Pelican eggs specifically, because the word Alcatraz is an Anglicization. I think that's right. 
of the word alcatraces, which means pelicans. Organet. Organet. for birds, though. That's what I didn't get. Well, we're going with pelicans. That's okay. what I've heard. Right. But uh, Alcatraces, which was um, given to the island by the uh, Spanish explorer Don Juan Manuel de Ayala in 1775 when he sailed into San Francisco Bay. One of the coolest Don Juans. He was pretty cool because he was like, it is on the site that I decree <laughs> Yerny will eventually play. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That was my Don Juan Ayala. Very impression. nice. Very nice. So that was that was the earliest history that we know of, even though it's not written down. Uh, in 1847, there was an official survey of this island, which we should mention is a the top of a mountain because yeah. San Francisco Bay used to be a valley. Pretty much all islands are tops of mountains. Yeah, when you get down to it. Yeah, but I like how Grabanowski was like, no, I'm just coming out and saying it in this <laughs> yeah. one. Uh, Lieutenant uh, William H. Warner of the U.S. Army uh was like, hey, this is a really prime location here in the bay to uh, stage munitions and to have a defense position. So let's construct uh, let's construct a building here to guard against the Confederate soldiers. And you don't, I don't really think about it. You know, you always hear North and South, but forget about San Francisco on there. Yeah, being a part of the Civil War. Oh yeah, especially with the gold rush going on out there. Anybody who controlled San Francisco controls a substantial amount of gold. Yeah. So it's a big deal. But uh, despite the fortifications that were eventually built there and the guns that were brought there. The Citadel is what they called it, but it is not to be confused with the, the school. Right. Um, the, uh, the, the guns were fired a couple of times, but never in battle. It was always like a case of mistaken identity. Yeah. Like, what was that? Or <laughs> Yeah. Or everybody who was on stationed on Alcatraz got drunk and just fired them off out of boredom. <laughs> I suppose that could have happened. Um, eventually... People started being sent to Alcatraz. If you deserted and were caught or you were court-martialed and it didn't go so well, you might end up on Alcatraz, especially if you were stationed around there. And um, the guy who was the head of the um, fort there basically was like, well, I, we have a basement. I guess we can start keeping people in the basement. And it's we will just, yeah, it's a brig now. Build a couple of cells here or there, and then all of a sudden it became very apparent not only is it a great spot for a garrison, it's a great spot for a prison. Yeah. Because, Chuck, there's a lot of aspects to Alcatraz that, that make it a very attractive prison location. It's it's an island. Sure. It's a rock. Yeah. There's a prison on it. <laughs> and the water <laughs> is very chilly. Yeah. Uh, and it's infested with great white sharks. And that's the word everyone uses is infested. I don't know if that's... Is it infested? That's what everyone uses. Even San Franciscans are, like, infested. They make it sound like you jump in and you will be attacked by a great white shark. (laughs) Have you ever seen the movie Piranha? Yeah. It's like that, but with great white sharks. I saw the remake the other day, by the way. How is it? It is uh, kind of awesomely, uh, gruesomely awesome and funny. Is it an homage to the first one? Yeah, I mean, it's way over the top. And it's one of those that's so over the top, it's like, well, this is kind of fun. Have you seen Hobo with a shotgun? It's not good. I have a feeling it's sort of like that. It, yeah, that is way, way over the top and awesome yeah. for that reason, too. Yeah. Uh, but have you seen Piranha 3D? Remember, they fly eventually. Yeah, the spawning? Yeah. You know who wrote that, actually? Benjamin Bratt. No. Amazing writer-filmmaker John Sayles. Uh, yeah. That was one of his first writing jobs in Hollywood, was writing uh, Piranha 3, the spawning, I think. Crazy. Yeah. You, you know, Roger Ebert wrote... Um, 
Yeah. Did we talk about that in the exploitation <laughs> films? Yeah. Well, that's my go-to. Well, you should say that. Beyond the know. Valley of the Dolls. That's right. All okay. right. Back to Alcatraz. I'm sorry. Back to the Citadel. Uh, Post-Civil War, um, there was a big uh, earthquake in San Francisco in 1906, and so they had to actually bring 200 regular civilian prisoners out to Alcatraz. And, uh, you know, the military at that point was like, you know, it's really expensive. Let's, we don't really need a military prison anymore. So uh, let's tear the Citadel down. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover said we need a big deterrent and a big scary place. So why don't we use Alcatraz and make that a regular federal penitentiary? Penitentiary? Well, that was in the 30s. In 1912, they said the Citadel, we do need a military prison. Or if we're going to do it, let's do it right. Oh, right, right, right. And they Sorry tore the that. Citadel down and built the military prison. They built, actually, the technical name was it United States Military Prison Pacific Branch Alcatraz Island. Right. And that was in 1912. But then, like you said, they were like, this is really expensive. Yeah, you got to bring in everything from the San Francisco area. Yeah. And everyone knows how expensive cheese is in San Francisco. Right. And, and they're like, hey, Mr. J. Edgar Hoover, look over here. And he did, right? He did. He said, I'm trying to crack down on all these bootleggers and all of these chippies, and I need a prison that's going to just scare people. Just the name of it's going to scare people. And I'm in love with my assistant. <laughs> and <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to use Alcatraz, because it is, again, a perfect prison. That's right. So that, that happened. Ownership was transferred in between 33 and 34, and they brought the first regular civilian prisoners, uh, prisoners over to stay. And in I, secrecy. Yeah, I wonder why. I, I think that's a good way to start off the worst prison in the country. Okay. Well, by secretly transporting prisoners there. That's <laughs> like, woo. Yeah. That makes you feel like you can be stolen out of your house at any moment. All right. So that is the history of the island and the origins of the prison, a.k.a. Part 1. Now starts Part 2. <clears throat> Thank you, Chuck. Yes. Uh, part 2 begins... With oh, let me stop you first. By the way, you mentioned that lighthouse. That's the very first lighthouse on the West Coast. Is that right? And they rebuilt it, and it still operates today. Yeah, they actually had to rebuild it because they started building up San Francisco, and the lighthouse is like, uh, I can't see. It's foggy. Yeah. And there's sharks everywhere. Help. And uh, so they, they tore it down and built it again in uh, 1909, and now it's bigger, and it's unobstructed. That's right. All right. So modern day, or more modern day at least, Alcatraz. We mentioned it's a mountain, uh, top of a mountain. It's very rocky. and Well, they call it the rock for a reason. Yeah. Th- there's not a lot of plant life growing there. It's not some beautiful island getaway. No. Almost all the plant life that grows there was brought in by construction crews over the years who were like, God, we need a tree or something here. We need a boxwood or something. <laughs> and so they, they started bringing in soil and shrubs and, and trees and Planted a few things here or there. Yeah. few of those things found purchase. It's just a dead piece of rock. Yeah. Which just adds to the gloom and the dismalness of it, right? Which actually plays a part in the end of the great, great, great movie, Escape from Alcatraz. That is a good movie. Remember he saw the little flower on the shore? Yeah, that's right. He's like, there ain't no flowers like this here. Yeah. Uh, So Alcatraz, Josh, was built to accommodate 600 uh, cons, but... It only held about 300, and uh, at the time in 1912, it was really innovative because first you had the island as, as hey, you can't escape from the island, so right. why bother trying? Then they had cell blocks within the concrete wall, so it was, for the first time, you know, cells within 
cells almost. Right. You, you didn't have a window looking out to the outside from your cell. No, no, no. Um, so, yeah, if you wanted to get your way out of there, you had to make it through the wall of your cell and then the outer wall. That's right. Um, they also had metal detectors, which were pretty much new, brand new at the time. Yeah. And rather than the key, like they had in the green mile, they had the levers, uh, the lever system to open cell blocks. Yeah. Like they had an escape from Alcatraz. Yeah, which was a big deal because you could do that remotely. You didn't have to go to the cell where you're vulnerable. Uh, they also reinforced all the iron with hardened steel. It was called tool resistant because you couldn't cut through it. <laughs> right. Just slur a little that bit. was like me. Because <laughs> you couldn't cut through it with a hacksaw. And apparently it cost as much to install those as it did to build it in the first place in 1912. Yeah, 200K. Just for the 20 years later. So so the average, the typical cell um, was something like uh, five feet wide by nine feet deep, and there were concrete walls. How big is this in here? Oh, this is like two cells. I think if you go like this, it's like two cells going that way. Yeesh. Uh, All three, three three of the four walls were made of um, concrete, and then the fourth wall was the... Um, steel tool-resistant um, bars. That's right. The fourth wall, you didn't want to break that. Had a little bed. People thought you were corny. Had a little bed. You had a little turlet. You had a couple of shelves in the back to put your stuff. You had a little, they call it a desk. It was really just a sort of a little fold-down. It was very small. Obviously, everything was small. And that was it. That was it. No, uh, you know, no duvets. No, no breakfast in bed. No, and you could uh, you can imagine this is pretty bad in and of itself, but that's A block, B block, and C block, right? That's right. Um, there was also D block, and D block was where if you were in trouble, they sent you. They and called that is, the treatment unit. Yeah, it was <laughs> the inhumane treatment is what they should have called it. Yeah, they had um, I think fourteen or fifteen cells in D block. And that was solitary confinement. And then you had cells 9 through 14 was the hole. Mm-hmm. And those were the ones with the iron doors where you had no light. Yep. And then they had one cell that apparently was the worst of the worst that just had a hole in the floor to go poo-poo and pee-pee. And you were usually naked if you were in there. And not for any good reasons. That's where the Birdman stayed the whole time. Really? Yeah, he was on deep block. Really? Yeah, apparently you couldn't be in the hole for more than 19 days, but the Birdman, Robert Stroud, was in prison for 54 years, and 42 years of that were in solitary confinement. Can you imagine, dude? I can't. They're not rehabbing that guy. And I'm not making a big political statement, but 42 years in solitary, that was just straight-up punishment. I think that um, I think that, that was the best Alcatraz movie ever. Birdman of Alcatraz. No way. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah. Dude. Burt Lancaster. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Um, he didn't have any birds in Alcatraz, though. Did he really spend... Yeah, he did. What are you talking about? You're, it's like you're crazy. He had... There were no animals allowed there. He had... That came from Leavenworth Prison, and when he got to Alcatraz, they were like, no more birds for you. Oh. I thought he ended up keeping birds anyway. No. And that's probably why he was in D-Block the whole time. No. Let's go with that. Okay. <laughs> um, well, then why would they call him the Birdman of Alcatraz? Because he was already a Birdman when he went to Alcatraz? Well, it's a movie. The same reason they fictionalized Murder in the First with Kevin Bacon. We'll get to that. Yeah. Um, and prior to the the construction of D-Block, you would just be held in the dungeon, 
which is in the basement of the original Citadel, which yeah. is where the first prisoners ever to be kept on Alcatraz were kept. It's probably not a fun place. No. So, Chuck, you said that there was no breakfast in bed. There was breakfast, and that came every day uh, after you swept your cell. Mm-hmm. Then you lined up for inspection, and you went down for breakfast. That's right. Then after that, you went to work. 20 minutes. 20-minute breakfast, huh? 20 minutes for each meal. I could do 20-minute breakfast. That's leisurely. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. It is leisurely. So you'd be sent to, like, the laundry. Um, You would be, maybe if you were the book guy, you would be sent to the library. A lot of dock work. Lots of unloading and loading of things. Yeah. Um, And also, they manufactured stuff on Alcatraz. They manufactured brushes and brooms. But, little known fact, these things by law could not be sold on the open market, only to federal agencies, because the government didn't want to flood the broom and brush markets Hmm. with cheaply made goods. So government buildings were swept with Alcatraz brooms? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Did not know that. Uh, The walkways they named, uh, the central walkway was between the cell blocks was Broadway, because they had a flair for the dramatic. They named them after New York streets, Park yeah. Avenue, Michigan Avenue, and Broadway. Yeah. And then Times Square was between the mess hall and the cell blocks. Right. And overlooking all this on either end was a very important station called the Gun Gallery. And it was enclosed in bars and mesh, and there's where you will find some of the only guns, aside from the towers in Alcatraz, were these armed dudes that had a very clear shot and line of sight of the whole place. Yeah. But the guards didn't carry guns or keys or handcuffs huh? because that was a risk. But they illegally carried these things called uh, saps. It was like a metal baton and a leather strap. It's a blackjack. Yeah, and they weren't supposed to have those, but they had those. Yeah. Um, And then after a hard day of work of being uh, eyed by guys in the gun gallery, you would have dinner, lights out at 930. 20 minutes. And then oven s'mores. And then the thing is, Alcatraz, thanks to J. Edgar Hoover, had a really crazy reputation for being like the hardest place ever. Yeah. Um, but everything we just described, you're going to go through generally in any prison in the 30s through the 60s. Sure. Um, but Alcatraz did differ in some ways. Specifically, it was extremely, especially at its beginning, it was extremely rigid in its um, discipline. Like there was... Literally, no talking for most of the time. Um, prisoners weren't allowed to speak out loud. Yeah. Um, except for designated times, I think like 20 minutes a week. I don't know. That sounds about right. Um, and they, uh, if you, if you did speak out loud, you went to the dungeon or D block later on. Did you have no talk in school? Elementary school? Uh, I don't remember if we did. They would do that in the cafeteria sometimes. We had these flags and if things were getting rowdy or they were, whatever, they were mad at us. They would say, you know, you're on no talk, and they would put up the red flag. And it was the worst. It was awful, yeah. especially for me. I was just, like, dying to say things to my friends. Yeah. Yeah. They actually said the dining room is the most dangerous place in Alcatraz. I would imagine. Because you got all the cons in there. And they had, um, have you ever been? No, I'd like to go. Oh, you got to go. Okay. They have on the uh, wall in the dining room, they have a, uh, where they kept the knives, the knife rack. They had silhouetted outlines in the shape of each one. So if one of them was missing, you would see what's missing mm-hmm. immediately. Mm-hmm. So there was no sneaking out of butcher knives, even though they had that stuff there. John Lithgow on Dexter had that for his tools. 
Oh yeah. yeah, that was a great season. Yeah, uh, they did have visiting hours, um, or should I say, visiting hour? Uh, you got one visit a month. Uh, had to be immediate family or an approved visitor, and you could only talk about personal matters. You couldn't talk about the prison or life there, and there was of course no contact whatsoever. Like they they wouldn't like put you in a room with them. Yeah, they'd be like no touching. Yeah, no touching at all. Um, Alcatraz also was a little different in that people lived on the island, which isn't all that different. I think most prisons have an area around them where the guards live. I didn't know this. Um, but with Alcatraz, it was like, you live on the island, your family lives on the island, your kids take a boat to school every day. Crazy. And back. Um, if you want a grocery shop, if you want some smokes, whatever, you take a boat and back. If you, uh, use up your razor and you need to shave, you throw your old razor in the bay. Yeah. Same with used utensils. I'm sure after they're worn out, not from washing. Now, like every time they just throw their <laughs> fork in the bay or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the kids weren't allowed to have toy guns for really good reasons because sure. they didn't want a convict getting uh, their hands on one and then pretending that they were going to shoot a guard with a, with a cap gun. Yep. And magazines had to be carefully patrolled because they didn't want prisoners looking at sexy things. Yep. Or... Reading about current events at all. Or sex or crime. Those were two things that the prisoners were not allowed to read about, which came into play with your buddy Robert Stroud. What, the Birdman? Yeah. What do you mean? He um, was not allowed to read his biography. Oh, yeah. Because it had chapters of his criminal past in it. So his biography came out and he wasn't ever allowed to read it. That's sad. He had a pretty sad life. What did he do? He was a... uh he moved to Alaska and took up with uh, in the pimping industry with one particular lady of the night. Uh, he though he went to go protect her at one point from this dude who didn't pay her. A scuffle broke out and he was killed. And uh, he turned himself in with the gun, said, "Here, I did this," and um, but took the money from his wallet, which I think trumped it up to a more serious charge. Mm-hmm. But it was originally manslaughter. So he, he probably would have been okay if he hadn't have gone to prison and been such a jerk. When he got to prison, he was one of the most violent inmates anywhere he went. Oh, really? And that just kept adding time and adding time, and he kept shuffling him around until he ended up at Alcatraz. But Burt Lancaster says that he <laughs> wasn't like that. Uh, one thing the Grabster did not mention was the rec yard, where you could go, I think, for an hour a day if you're a good boy, and an hour a week if you're in solitary. And they had handball and horseshoes and chess and checkers and backgammon. And you were allowed to play hearts, cribbage, and that is it for card games, even though it says they played bridge using dominoes. And you could see from from the rec yard, you could see San Francisco, Yeah, which they said was the biggest psychological crippler of all is you could see the stuff going on. And they said every New Year's at uh, the Yacht Club would have a party, a big, big party. And if the winds were blowing right, you'd actually hear like music and ladies laughing and stuff like that. Wow. Which was just torture, I'll bet obviously. Or a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> like listening to something I'm at least. in spirit. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Al Capone was there. Did you know that? That's what I hear. <laughs> so Al Capone was there. You got the Birdman of Alcatraz. And it has the reputation of being the worst of the worst. The worst prison where the worst of the worst are housed. 
That was, you know, Al Capone was a pretty big criminal. Yeah. He was a pretty big nab for the G-men. But it was a federal prison, and it was early on in the history of the federal prison system. So people who really probably didn't belong there sometimes ended up in Alcatraz. Um, you could be sent there for shoplifting in a store that had a post office branch. Made it a federal crime. If, like, you know how, like, you like to bring fireworks into Georgia a lot? Oh, yeah. Well, had that been bootleg liquor and had you been caught, just, just bringing in, like, a fifth. Yeah. You could have gone to Alcatraz. So it wasn't all murderers and gangsters. No, it wasn't. It had a very, um, a surprisingly normal history as far as prisons go, federal prisons go for the time. Yeah. Um, but it also had a very fearsome reputation, and some of it was earned. Yeah, Capone didn't have a very good time there, though. No, he had syphilis, and he was crazy and used to cry like a baby. Plus, he had it made in the prison before. Apparently, he was still running his ops. Yeah. And they got to Alcatraz, and they're like, no, 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 no. It's not happening here. So, um, you want to talk about escaping from Alcatraz? Yeah, I did want to mention, too, you did get cigarettes. You got uh, a pack of smokes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, whether you smoked or not. Oh, yeah, that's currency right there. Yeah, I would smoke, I think, if I was in prison. Would you? Yeah. Something to do, man. Yeah. And, you know, like, I don't know. I think at that point I'd try to, be, I'd try to shorten my life Yeah. any way I could. There's faster ways than smoking. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> More uh, efficient ways as well. Uh, so escape, yeah. It happened. Yeah, there have been plenty of attempts, but... Um, at least two were possibly successful, right? So the first attempt was uh, two years after the prison started, I think when you still weren't allowed to talk. This guy was like, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> and he ran and jumped on the fence and was shot and killed. So that was pretty easy. That was the first escape attempt. Yeah. Uh, what, two years after that? No, the next year, two prisoners got out, and they escaped. And they think that they drowned, but they're not sure. Because they never got bodies. Yep. Right. But the the place is infested with great white sharks. That's right. <laughs> I'm sure they were eaten alive. Yeah. Then Henry Young, uh, we talked about the movie Murder in the First with uh, Kevin Bacon. 1939, uh, he tried to escape with three other ones, uh, three other inmates. They uh, were found on the beach, so they did get out. Uh, one was shot and killed, another one was wounded, and Young and Rufus McCain uh, were probably near hypothermia. And were collected back into prison. Yeah, and this there, I think Young stabbed McCain the next year mm-hmm. to death in the workshop. But um, if you see the movie Murder in the First, it is highly, highly fictionalized. Yeah, it's Kevin Bacon was never in prison. <laughs> it's not very close to the real story. So don't don't take it's a good movie though. No, and the uh, the trial of Henry Young definitely brought attention to the treatment of prisoners. In Alcatraz and yeah. a public outcry, um, he may yeah. still be out there. He broke parole. He was released in uh, wa- in Washington and, and skipped parole and just disappeared. He's probably not out there because he was in prison in 1939. They said he'd be in his 90s. Crazy. My grandmother lived to be 101. Well, if you're Henry Young, we <laughs> want to hear from you. Yeah, please let us know. That'd be great. We want your your um, deathbed confession. That'd be sweet. Did I ever tell you that, um, you know, I wrote about D.B. Cooper. I wrote an article, a brief article about him. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the guys who I cited as possibly having been D.B. Cooper, his widow emailed me. It was like, no it way. was not him. Really? Uh, it wasn't him. I'm like, that is pretty cool. People have asked for that podcast. Is it 
is it meaty enough, your article? Uh, yeah, and, and there's enough research and stuff that's happened since. It was like a five-minute podcast. Do you want to redo that one? Oh, we actually did that one? No, yeah. no, I didn't. You didn't. I, it was pre-you. Uh, I'm sorry. I know. Cheater. <laughs> do you want to? Yes. Okay, we will. Uh, that brings us, though, to the, the most famous escape attempt and possibly escape from the great, great movie Escape from Alcatraz, which was really pretty accurate. Clint Eastwood. I don't know. No, man, it was pretty accurate. We're talking the about Frank. paper mache job yeah. that they did. Have you ever seen the real head? Yeah, it, it was, was nowhere like near. <laughs> so we're talking about Clarence and John Anglin, two brothers, and uh, played by Fred Ward and some other guy. And Frank Morris, played by Clint Eastwood, worked uh, a couple of years on their plan to get out of Alcatraz. Yeah. And they chipped away at the wall, which was, at that point, uh, rotting somewhat from salt water and salt air. Yeah. Well, probably not water. And um, they chopped away holes big enough to get out. They they made uh, a little false facade that looked like the, the grate in there anyway. It was like painted cardboard. Yeah. That they would pull two behind them when they went out in the conduit area. Yes. Behind the walls. So they'd go behind the walls, which is where they kept all their stuff. They fashioned uh, raincoats together to make a crude uh, sort of a life raft mm-hmm. that they could blow up. Yeah. They made paper mache Heads that they put in the bed every night so yeah. they could go work. And think about how tired they were because they couldn't sleep the next day. Yeah. They must have gotten... They, I wonder how they figured out a schedule like, okay, we can do this X number of hours every night or else we're going to lose our minds. Yeah, but I imagine it's like, should I be tired or should I escape from Alcatraz? Well, when you escape from Alcatraz, you want to take your time. <laughs> right. Do it right. <laughs> As they proved, though, because one night, finally, everything was finished and they... Uh, went up to the roof through this little conduit area and um, hopped the fence and made their way out into the night and were never heard from again. That's right. And they found, apparently, uh, these Mythbusters. Have you heard of them? Yeah. They apparently did, in the first season, they tried to recreate it because they live in San Francisco, right? Uh, yeah, they're up there somewhere. So they um, they tried to recreate the escape and they did it, which I guess kind of shows that it is possible. Sure. Especially if you were going to go back, I can imagine they had all the incentive in the world to make that happen. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, eight months after that escape, there was a Norwegian ship discovered a body that they said resembled Frank Morris, but uh, years later they found this body, dug it up, did DNA testing, and found it wasn't him. And the FBI closed the case in 79, and then... Years later, I'm sorry, this year, on a station called Nat Geo, they had a special called Vanish from Alcatraz, and there was new evidence where uh, they discovered a raft on Angel Island with footprints leading away and a report of a stolen car in the area that night, which could have been those guys. Crazy. And uh, they confirmed these facts and that they were hidden from officials for a long time, and as a result, the U.S. Marshal's office said, you know what, we're going to keep the case open until these guys are supposedly 100 years old, and then we'll close the case. Well, that's great. Good because for the Marshals. if they live to be 101, we'll just give it to them. Yeah. You know? Then they can come out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, what else you got? That was it. I mean, that, that escape and the deterioration of the prison uh, physically pretty much meant the end of Alcatraz. They were like, it's really expensive to operate. 
if dudes can escape from here, kind of the whole point of being here in the first place was that it was escape proof. So it's just a drain on our fun. So let's just shut it down. Nice. And now it's a tour. Yeah. It's starting in the 70s, right? 71, 72, something like that? Yeah. Well worth your time. And Alcatraz is not alone. There are other Alcatraz islands or Alcatraz-like islands throughout the world, like South Africa has Robben Island. Yeah. Um, Tasmania has Port Arthur. And there's one that... San Quentin, right? Isn't that an island? Rikers Island? Yeah, you've got Rikers Island. There's a bunch of them. The one that I found that was really interesting, though, um, is in Norway. And it's called uh, Bastoy, or however you pronounce the O with the slash through it. The null set? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Bastoy is, it doesn't have any bars. No doors are locked. There's no guns on the island, so the guards aren't armed. Uh, the guys farm their own food. There's a little grocery store. When they get there, they're given 500 kronen. I believe it's kronen. Kroner. Kroner. To spend at the uh, supermarket and basically get themselves started. And that's it. Like, that's the prison. It's basically like a little commune where, like, you're free to kind of live your own life yeah. and hopefully s- undergo some sort of uh, reformation. But there's guards? They, there are, but they're not armed. The only gun on there, on the whole island, is, is in the warden. It's, a, it's in the <laughs> warden's office, and it's a statue of a, a bronze statue oh, of a really? pistol. Yeah. And the warden says he has no idea where it came from. It predates him. I kind of like the escape from New York plan. Yeah, that's a good one. Where you just throw them on the island and build up big walls and just leave them to work it out. That's kind of what they're doing with Bostoy, but it's a little more hippie than Escape right. from New York. Were they drug offenders? <laughs> Probably. Well, they're Norwegian, so oh, sure. not, not too much violence there. And if it is, it's just like one guy, you know? That's it. That's Alcatraz, baby. Scary place. It's chilling. There's ghosts, apparently. Yeah, I didn't look into that. I didn't either. Is that what, I'm sure there's, you know, I'm sure there's ghosts there. Um, <laughs> Dozens. If you want to know more about Alcatraz, see a picture of Robert Stroud, who is a little bird-like himself in appearance. Yeah. Um, and, well, this is just a good article all around. If you want to go over it, you can type in Alcatraz, not Alcatraz, it's Alcatraz, um, in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, which means now it's time for listener mail, friends. Yeah, this is an old one. It's been sitting in the queue. It's about ethnobotany. Remember that one? Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, guys, I'm an undergraduate chemistry student who has been a longtime listener to your awesome podcast. Uh, you guys asked about synthesis versus extraction in the ethnobotany podcast, so I thought I'd clear it up for you. Uh, extraction is often more difficult than synthesis because when one extracts something from a plant, one also has to worry about separating the desired component from the rest of the plant. Since a plant is an organic material, duh, separating, he wrote that by the way, Okay. Uh, separating one organic compound from another is often very difficult, whereas if you use synthesis, one could use polar and nonpolar solvents to manipulate the process for easy separation, kind of like how oil and vinegar will separate when left alone. And lastly, uh, syntheses are constantly being updated because of more efficient and faster reactions. Mm-hmm. The less steps in a synthesis, the better the end yield, the better the yield, the happier your boss is. And that is from Evan. And he says, P.S. I forgot to mention that an extracted product and a synthetic product will show no chemical difference. Very interesting. That's excellent. Thank you for clearing that up. That was Evan? Yeah, very insightful. Nice. Thanks a lot, Evan. 
Um, is he an anthropologist, an ethnobotanist? I think he's a gym teacher. Okay. Um, Chuck, we got a pretty good response from our call out for uh, um, autumn treats. Whether yes. they be cocktails, hot toddies, desserts, mm-hmm. um, breads, what have you. That was nice. I think we should do it again. Okay. And I think we should compile them eventually uh-huh. once we get enough into like maybe a Stuff You Should Know autumn cookbook or something like that. That sounds great. I, I will undertake that. With Forward by Paula Dean. Anyway, if you have a great autumn treat, whether that be drink or food, we want it, you can email it to us at stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?